This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Wilbur. This show is an extension of the Pitch in Kansas City. Uh, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Pitch in Kansas City. That is why you are hearing my voice on said show. How is everyone doing out there? Um, this was a fascinating week. I finally had a friend come to visit, uh, Zalavir, uh, Nelson. Uh, he's 24. He is perhaps the biggest name in the video game world right now, uh, at almost half my age, he's won several BAFTAs. He's shipped so many weird games, including one that's called An Airport for Aliens Built by Dogs. Our dog, Captain Trips, is in the game. Um, I don't know. He has built this whole wacky world of things. Anyway, it was the first time in a long time that somebody came to Kansas City for a full week. And they were like, let's do something all of the time. Um, and he is a uh, sober vegan Christian, uh, which I am uniquely unpositioned to know how to show that person a good time in Kansas City. So that was, uh, that was incredibly fun because it relied on me going to the pitch website a lot to check our archives on where cool things were. Uh, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Um, I got to do a lot of Kansas City stuff I haven't done in a long time, uh, and some Lawrence stuff. Um, I got to take him to his first ever concert, which was Man Man at the Bottleneck. Uh, and Man Man, uh, if you listened to our last episode, is uh, just uh, an insane thing to hear. So for a first first concert ever uh it worked out very well but very weirdly i worry that i've set the bar too high and too low at the same time uh anyway spent the rest of the week hanging art around the office over at the pitch we moved in a month before pandemic hit to our current space and then it was me and our president andrew and no one else coming in and so it was just recently that i was sort of like it looks like we're still just like hoovering in this space, like just borrowing it. Somebody else is going to come in. So I uh, spent a couple of days, maybe one in something of a manic state, uh, just hanging art, hanging old issues of the pitch around the office. It looks incredible now. And it about like the energy that comes off of it is very nice. Uh, as opposed to the previous energy, which was just like, hey, what if there was gray paint everywhere? Uh, so I don't know. Uh, somehow after three years, it feels like we moved in. Uh, <laughs> it didn't take that much work, um, but it feels nice. Uh, so when you swing by, uh, you'll get to see how it looks. People have been swinging by more frequently lately. Um uh, including a guy that uh, buzzed his way in uh, last week who was like, hey, I've never been in this part of town. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, I've just never been in this part of town. My new best friend. Uh, we will talk together <laughs> forever. A weird a weird start, but um, 
what an interesting man. We had a wonderful time. Anyway, uh, we have an interview this week with Tim Heidecker, ahead of his Kansas City show as both a musician and a comedian. Um, a lot going on with that one. Uh, we also have Nick's Music Corner, as per always. But first up, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is doing a reading of Emily Cox's story on the Social Symphony. Jason, take it away. It's a bittersweet symphony. That's life. Social Symphony is instrumental to growing up by Emily Cox. There are so many experiences that we took for granted in our youth. I used to translate Latin poetry every day, do chemistry experiments in a lab, and play music alongside scores of other students in band. It's totally normal as a kid to spend hours and hours each week on such varied pursuits. You don't realize how cool that is until it's too late, when you're grown up and expected to devote all your time and energy to some singular focus in a career. I played flute in school band from fourth grade until I graduated from Lincoln College Preparatory Academy. After graduation, I didn't pick up a flute for 12 years, until I found one at a flea market for $17. It's not a good flute, it has one broken key and doesn't like to stay in tune, but I looked up music for Christmas carols and other simple tunes and marveled at making music again. Reveled, really, in how my fingers still remembered where to go. My muscle memory and the music-making part of my brain got a good scratch for the first time in over a decade. While it was fine fiddling around on the flute by myself, it was nothing compared to playing in a band. I looked back at my days in band wistfully, amazed at what a miracle it was that I got to play in a symphonic band every single school day for years. What a privilege that was, a privilege that I wholly took for granted. I also took for granted that my music playing stopped when school did. You can play while you're in school, but then it's either pursue professional musicianship, whether playing or teaching, or stop. That's it. That's all you get. What if we treated music as worthy of lifelong pursuit, regardless of proficiency? Why should music education stop? Why should your experience of playing music end just because you're not doing it as your job? Just because you're not the cream of the crop? The Social Symphony of Kansas City fills the void in opportunity for musicians. Founded in 2018, they set out to make a home for people like me, who loved playing music in school, but never set out to pursue it professionally, and haven't had an opportunity to play since. Also known, off paper, as the Drunk Orchestra, we gather every Monday evening in a rented rehearsal space to drink and play together, for the love of the game. Alina Sigatova, Randall and Ward McDill, and Daniel McDill have been best friends since freshman year of high school, continuing on when they attended Pittsburgh State together. The McDills were top of their class with degrees in music education, while Sigatova was a more casual player. After graduation, I moved up here. Randallin and Daniel were in the process of moving up here, and I was thinking about something I could start or do in Kansas City because I was essentially up here with no friends, Sigatova says, laughing. I liked drinking, and I thought about my hobbies back in college. I thought, well, what if we started a community orchestra, played at the high school level so that nobody is overwhelmed, and were led by these two amazing true musicians? Sigatova shared the idea with Randallin and McDill, who decided to pursue it. Daniel McDill also holds a master's degree in orchestral conducting, and now puts it to work as a director of Social Symphony. When Alina came up with this weird idea, I told her I'd try to do it, and here we are four years later, McDill reminisces. It turned out what Sigatova was looking for in community resonated with a lot of people. We started it all off a Reddit post just to see if people would be interested, says McDill. We said, show up at the Rhino, and we didn't know if anybody would show up or not. I walk in and see like 50 people, and I just start laughing because I don't believe it completely from Reddit. Alex Nagel, treasurer for the group, remembers, 
At the first or second rehearsal, we started off playing Christmas music. Towards the end of rehearsal, everything sounded really good, and you could feel it in the room that everyone was like, oh my god, this is a thing, this could really work. I remember Daniel even saying something like, wow guys, we're actually sounding really good, almost in disbelief. McDill confirms he was, in fact, a bit disbelieving at first. I remember we went into that first rehearsal. We had no idea who was showing up, what kind of level of playing they had, he says. So we're just going in completely blind, thinking that hopefully we can play a major scale or two and see where we can go. We got through a couple songs and it was like, okay, we can do this. Erica Goring, self-described mediocre first violinist, is a graphic designer by day. She's been pleased to be able to put those skills to work in designing merch and promotion materials for the group. The cool thing about playing high school level music is that a lot of us haven't played since high school, says Goring. So for me, I played from 5th to 12th grade, and then I stopped for like 13 years. Music is now an essential outlet for her. One of the things we emphasize is that it's for fun, says Goring. It's not really like a job. We don't have to be good. We just have to be there and do the thing. I've realized over the last few years that music is a huge part of who I am. I don't have to be good at it. I just have to make noise. Having a safe place to do that that's low stress, low stakes, it means a lot to me. I just don't know what I would do without it. Nagel echoed similar sentiments. For me, music was grade school, high school, college. Then all of a sudden you stop, you graduate, and it's done. But it's something that was so core to my identity. So to find something like that again was a huge boost. Reconnecting with your instrument makes you feel like, oh my god, I need to keep doing this. Once you graduate from high school or college, there just aren't many options for non-professional musicians to play in large ensembles. Even community orchestras play such high-level music that you essentially have to be retired or be a good professional musician to be able to play those pieces, Sigatova says. The vast majority of adults don't have the time to invest in practicing even an hour every week in addition to rehearsals. Social Symphony does not require auditions, and accepts everyone so long as they don't have an excess of your instrument represented. As much as I love trumpets, I can't have 12 trumpets, says McDill. The group will place potential players on waitlist in the cases of overabundance. String players rejoice. We always need more violins and strings. I will never turn away a string player, McDill continues. It turns out that people who are playing for enjoyment actually put on a show that is enjoyable too. Their last concert, during the Christmas season, packed the house at Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company. McDill says, We always end up putting on a great concert. People love it. Social Symphony offers a place for music to continue outside of more formal institutions. I do definitely think that it's important to continue music education into adulthood, says McDill. It's good for mental health and for friendships with people. Especially with these last couple of years of COVID, people spend a lot of time alone. Now that you're finally getting back to doing something normal and having those relationships with people, I think it's more important than ever. There is just as much emphasis on the social as on the symphony. Everything for the group revolves around the social aspect of music, continues McDill. The social aspect of music isn't talked about enough. Looking back to high school, everything you did, if you were a band geek, revolved around the band room, or the orchestra room, the choir room. School started at 8 a.m. For some reason, kids were in there hanging out at 7 in the morning. Sometimes it was a safe haven for kids, too. We want to continue that social aspect of music that adults don't usually get. As a result, not only new friendships, but new relationships and even marriages have blossomed within the group. McDill is soon to be a groomsman in a wedding for a couple that met in the social symphony. In our hustle-obsessed society, it is refreshing to gather with 60 or so like-minded individuals to literally play. There is no profit motive. There is no demand for excellence. As it turns out, music doesn't have to be performed at the height of proficiency for it to be worthy of playing and hearing.
This group is a balm for perfectionism and overactive work ethics. Part of having a good life is being multifaceted, says Sigatova. Social Symphony allows people to be multifaceted in a way that you don't have to have a hobby that makes you money. In fact, you don't even have to have a hobby that you're good at. You can just come and play. McDill adds, You don't have to worry about going to rehearsal and getting yelled at by the director because you didn't practice your part. It's a no-pressure environment, McDill continues. There's so many people I've talked to in the group who are like, man, I just didn't know if I could do it, but you know, I started playing a couple weeks ago, and it's starting to come back. I remember this. Ooh, I might need to practice that a little bit, but I remember this. You see these aha moments, and you see people's faces light up, and it's worth everything. In my first rehearsal with the group this January, I was one of those faces lighting up. After years of thinking what a shame it was that I would never again play flute in a large ensemble, there I was, doing just that. Making noise in collaboration with so many other humans, with my breath contributing to the whole magnificent sound of it, was a unique kind of magic. Music really is for everyone, says McDill. And when we say music is for everyone, we don't just mean kids and teenagers and college kids. We're here in Kansas City, for anyone who's 21 and over, for anyone who would like to continue on that path. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as you all love and adore and appreciate and go wild for, it is Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Coming out, the latest EP from Lawrence rapper Q came out at the end of June, and it marks a real turning point in Keith Wright's career. The three-song collection was, writes the musician, quote, inspired by my journey towards liberation, finding unapologetic love, and thriving in a world that marginalizes people with my identities, end quote. With songs like Extra Extra and Man Now, it is in fact a proud celebration of who Wright is as both Keys himself and Q the rapper. Coming on the heels of last year's Gospel and the single Ball in Your Court, released just in time for KU's NCAA championship win, Q is having their year exactly as they planned, including getting to read a touching personal statement when Lawrence declared June as LGBTQ Pride Month, and it's thrilling to watch this artist become their most authentic self in life and on the mic. Here's the third and final song on that EP coming out, Man Now. Rated number one amongst younger listeners. Cue the man now, I'm counting bands now. Old friends back on Broadway, they got their hands out. Yeah, cue the man now, that's how it panned out. Now the suit's talking like I need a handout. Nothing's free, pay the fee, booked and blessed. Cashing checks, blowing loud through the crowd. Gotta make my mama proud, got the city loving me. Cool kid, big dreams like the Bulls in 96. What if I was 23? Through the league with my team, got the kingdom and the keys. Banners in the streets like some kind of prophecy. Like pitch me, it's a dream. I don't know what all this means. Then I hit the stage, it's me. I love it when they scream. Cue the man now. I'm counting bands now. Old friends back around, they got their heads out. Yeah, cue the man now. That's how I panned out. Now the suit's talking like I need a handout. Yeah, cue the man now. I'm counting bands now. Old friends back around, they got their heads out. Yeah, cue the man now. That's how I panned out. Now the suit's talking like I need a handout. How you gonna flex while I already been? I got everything you want, and I'm always gonna win. I said I'm everything you not, and it is what it is. I got the checks, I got the love. Let me hear it again. Well, already been. I got everything you want, and I'm always gonna win. I said I'm everything you not, and it is what it is. I got the checks, I got the love. Let me hear it again. Yeah, cute man now. I'm counting bands now. Old friends back around, they got their hands out. Yeah, cute man now. That's how I panned out. Now the suits talking like I need a handout. Yeah, cute man now. I'm 
so here's my interview with Tim Heidecker. Uh, Tim is a comedian. Uh, you probably know him from Tim and Eric, uh, if for anything, but like a billion other things, including some very dark indie comedies. But um, a number of years back, he also started making very serious, sincere music, in addition to the weird alt-comedy sort of persona that he has. So um, previously, I've interviewed him. And had it go weird, uh, where I thought we were going to talk about the sincere part of the music thing, and we were actually doing the comedy thing, so I went into this one a little intrepid, uh, and it was a wonderful time where his daughter, uh, who was a child, insisted on sitting in on the interview, so you'll hear me addressing her at a few points here, but... um, yeah, this was wonderful. Uh, he is coming through Kansas City on August 8th. He will be at the Truman. Um, come out to the show. Uh, his whole setup for this thing is that the first half of the show is him doing this stand-up comedian character who is deliberately awful that, I don't know, your mileage may vary on that one. I'm very excited to see it live. Uh, and then the rest of it is him uh, with his band doing his very, very cool music, including songs off his new album, which is about his high school experiences. And that's sort of what we're talking about here today. So here's that interview with Tim Heidecker. I guess let's talk about high school. Uh, what was your first recording device? In high school? Yeah, yeah. I realize I oh, need yeah. to specify high school, the album versus high school, the period of your life. So yes, <laughs> the actual high yeah. school. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure I know my my parents had like a portable cassette recorder uh, with the microphone in it. In fact, the very first sound on the on the record is my is from one of those cassette recorders that my uh, which is my parents like interviewing me and, you know, with the little cassette recorder um, in high school, we would have uh, I believe you, at the time you could rent um, Tascam four track tape recorders cool and so we would we would rent those to make like demos and stuff what is your process of starting a song and seeing it through to like the final recording at, at this point like it seems like you've got a good crew of people that you can really trust and have chemistry with is that where this starts with the demo yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i have sort of amassed a nice little rolodex of very talented cool people who are down to collab um, you know, I think some, it comes in various ways. The, the origins of a song, it might come, uh, while driving in my car or lying in bed or going on a walk or something, there might be a little, uh, spark of something, or it's like just me sitting at the piano and noodling around and finding something that surprise that interests me or surprises me or a chord shape on the guitar that I like that, I, that I'm kind of just vibing on. And then, yeah. And then it's like, it goes through a process of like, all right, what is this about? What kind of songs am I trying to write at the moment? Um, and, and now, nowadays I won't to worry too much about like getting a great recording of it. I will like make a, a iPhone demo or something on the voice memos. Very simple. Sometimes if I have like a certain, sound that I'm that I know I want I might try to replicate it a little bit but then yeah then I'll let those pile up a little bit and reach out to some people about 
actually making it and then let them, you know, I, I'm always interested in the collaboration part of the arrangement and recording. So um, I'm always, I'm not too worried if I don't have it all figured out yet. It's kind of about seeing what other people will bring to the table. You, you have a series of pretty cohesive concept albums. Is it hard to get started writing on something when you're not sure what the through line is yet? Or do you, do you find a way there? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is the first, the first part of the concept, I guess, is like, comes from like a subconscious uh, place that's a little hard to predict or a little hard to plan for. So it just kind of has to come up. And then, but what the, what that helps me do is like, that helps me write the rest of the songs. Cause once that I figured out a, a concept or a point of view or a subject matter I want to get into, um, then it becomes like, all right, now I can, now I can be more constructive in the writing. You know, it can, I have, I have an end goal in mind and it's not just random songs. Are any of the songs on the album songs that you wrote in high school? No, uh, definitively no. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, need to. Uh, luckily, I didn't. I don't really have much in the well from back then that is uh, worth revisiting musically. So, <laughs> was there a was there a song for this album that you just like that you loved and it just didn't make the final cut? Just didn't come together or? <laughs> Yeah, there, there is a song that is finished and was done in the same way all the other songs were done. It's fully finished, but thematically, it's sort of just kind of a, a really kind of sweet love song, uh, sort of kind of uh, song to my wife and um, about sticking together for the many years we've been together. And it's a very, it's a, I like it. It's a very poppy kind of, Beatlesque uh, sounding song, and uh, but it just doesn't. It didn't fit in the as we were like sequencing the record and um, trying to keep the concept together. As even though it doesn't fully, you know, it does have some room to not be strictly about high school, but uh, it just didn't fit thematically. So it, it was kind of an easy call to just keep it off and save it for something else for a you know for my rarities album that will come out one day. <laughs> you, you do a lot of introspection here and a lot of reevaluating how people could have made better choices or advice that you wish you got or how you see how things have an effect decades down the line on people. What, what advice are you going to give your kids when they head off to, to high school or is this album, does that serve as like sort of dad's tips? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> my advice would be to uh, be yourself and work hard and try to uh, um, stay, try to keep from procrastinating. I got to ask, punch in the gut, a true story? Yeah, it's uh, true, true-ish. I think there are some liberties taken. Uh, there was a, a, a friend of mine, a black kid, who, we were both kids, uh, in high school from another school, and he came to visit us 
uh, he came to our school after his school and there was some uh, theft that happened that wasn't him and he kind of got the blame for it and uh, um, so that so there's yeah there's uh, quite a bit of truth in that song the the line in there let boys be boys hits especially hard like the song it truly is gut punch from start to finish yeah. you <laughs> fully delivered yeah, on, it's a little on double the meaning there. There. <laughs> uh so you've got some really great duets that you've you've put in together over the years besides the the very good band full of very good musicians was there anyone uh akin to a Kurt Mile or something on this that you really hoped you were going to get them to duet on a song and that didn't come together? No, in fact, I was consciously trying to not, to separate it from the last album, Fear of Death, and not make it, not try to capture that lightning in a bottle again, because um, that's just going to just already create uh, unfair comparisons and, you know, why didn't you just use, uh, why didn't you just do it with wise blood? You know, so I, I wanted it to be pretty singular, but Eric Johnson, who, who kind of helped me finish the album, uh, who's from the Fruit Bats and uh, Bonnie Light Horseman and just a great musician. He sings a lot on the record. And I, I do think my voice gets better when I'm, when it's when else, someone else is singing with me, it creates a little, a little beautiful padding around it. So um, I like harmonies and I love, you know, I love the sounds of multiple voices singing. So I'm glad he was able to provide that. Uh, you're about to head out on tour uh, for our market here in Kansas City. You'll be in on yeah. August 8th at the Truman. Everyone should buy their tickets now before those sell out. Thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to catch you in Chicago at the Vic, I believe, as well. So oh, cool. Uh, two stops there. But um, I, I saw your tweet uh, recently that said, oh boy, starting to have tour dreams. Last night I had an unru unruly audience and I wasn't prepared, ended in violence. Are you okay? Is this? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's definitely a thing that, that always happens, I think, before a big tour um, or any big, you know, thing coming up. I think everybody can relate to stress dreams that are like reminding you of what's, uh, what you have in front of you but uh yeah it was pretty vivid and uh i know it's not going to happen but the thought of like just you know this thought of stepping out there literally naked or figuratively naked where you um you know don't aren't ready <laughs> is real but it it, it reminds it probably made me work a little harder the next day to like do a little more prep thinking about that now, now, was this album and tour, were they in any way delayed because it was like, we can't book a tour right now? Was it was it shelved at all? Or is this just happening in normal time for album release and booking? <laughs> well, the, it was it, it worked out great, actually, because the record was supposed to come out a few months earlier uh, in April, I think, was the original release. Um, and but then it, then it got pushed, but we were also working on the tour, booking the tour and lining up promoters and stuff. So the tour settled in for the summer, I think. And then it kind of happened randomly. But yes, things, the, the record definitely got pushed. But then we were like, well, this is kind of perfect because it's going to come out two weeks before the tour starts. And 
it's it does seem like very smart strategic uh, planning, but it just kind of randomly happened that way. What is your touring setup? Is it mostly you and guitar and a specific amp you like, or do you have like a whole bunch of effects pedals beneath you? I tried. I try to to become <laughs> a real like a. I want you should see my YouTube history. It's it's actually full of like pedal boards uh, demos and demo and like how to set one up and stuff. You know, I'm not a great guitar player, but in the band that I have, I'm sort of the rhythm man and. I, I play a, a, a nice vintage Strat, and I have a couple of pedals, a couple like a distortion pedal and a uh, and a, comp a tube compressor and a couple of things, and then I have a Princeton a Fender Princeton, which is a pretty small amp, but um, it's the you know it's I laugh when I see people's rigs and it's like you really don't need much of an amp anymore like right because a microphone goes in front of the amp and so as long as it's getting off like some sound it's going to go through the pas and uh you're never hearing like the sound of you're never hearing the amp you're hearing the amp going through the pas you know but it looks cooler to have a bigger amp but um it'll look it'll be fine i'll just put it up on a on, on the on the case it's in or something but yeah I, i'm taking that part seriously like I'm still not going to be doing like, like a bunch of soloing and 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 that and the more complicated parts, but I'm trying to find my my place in the band with the with you know with the with the rhythm. I think the last time that we spoke in person, I'm I'm fairly certain this is the day. It was the day that In Glendale came out, uh, and as I left, uh, they gave me a copy of the CD and I remember driving through Glendale listening to it that day and being like, oh, wow. I think this is a perfect album. Uh, are you guys playing stuff from your music that far back or do those songs not resonate with you anymore? Is, is the set list for this across the discography? Of, it is. Of Tim? Yeah. Okay. I, I think I know, I think I have it set. Uh, I'm going to play around with it some more, but we do a few songs from in Glendale do a few songs from when uh, what the broken hearted do and fear of death and it's it's really tricky because now that now I've built up a a discography uh, and I'm doing the stand up for the first half hour of the show um, you know the set list for the music side is really about an hour and a half or so so those it fills up pretty quick with mm -hmm. tunes. Um, well, and also there's only so much you can give in a night when you are both the opener and the headliner. Like. Yeah, yeah. But time itself becomes a problem. And we don't, we, we want to like jam out a little bit and let some of these songs breathe and then and have time for talking and telling some tales. And so I think maybe it'll be that you'll like the set list will be a little different once we get up on the road and, and get you know, we'll switch things in and out so that some, you know, keep it interesting for us and make it kind of that cool thing where, did you hear he played, you know, uh, Nicholas, I saw Nicholas Cage tonight. Oh, he didn't play that in, in Kansas City. He, mm -hmm. he played, uh, you know, a Yellow River Boys song <laughs> instead. So I, I was going to um, ask if we were going to get some of the deeper cuts like Q, uh, which is still a certified Bob. Oh, just, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, it's I don't know if I'll do that one. That, right. There, 
There are a lot, but I, I, what I hope, like I said, like, is the band becomes loose enough where, like, in sound check, we could be like, hey, let's try this one, and then rehearse it and add it to the list, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be a fun one to do. I don't know. I don't think that would fit, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> now that you're being so productive on 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 all all fronts here like is it difficult for you at this point to have an idea and you're like i'd like to really explore that i don't know if that goes into like comedy column or music column mm. or film column like <laughs> yeah um there it's usually pretty obvious but um like the 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 thing i'm bouncing around in my head right now a lot which isn't going anywhere at the moment but is like a musical and like a way to I, I don't know, maybe it's because my daughter has been like getting into musicals and I'm like very obviously can can write, you know, tunes and um, thinking like, well, what would a, what would my musical be? And so that, that's like popping around in my head and I wouldn't want to do like, you know, a corny musical, but <laughs> I love I love, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, it's like one of my favorite records of all time. So like, yeah. Do I have something like that in me, or is that just impossible to do anymore? Because it's so such a well-worn road. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, but there's. It's not too hard to like separate the genres or the the TV and music and film sides. I think that it's usually pretty obvious. What's uh What's one thing you leaned on during pandemic to remain a sane human being? Um, definitely the podcast office hours that I do, um, with, uh, Doug and Vic and, and my friend, Matt, who's I, right before the pandemic, Eric and I were on tour and I had been doing the podcast for a few years, um, just kind of on my own and without a lot of direction. And it was a bit of, a bit chaotic and stressful and unproduced and, uh, before I got back from tour and before the pandemic, I had talked to my friend Matt about helping me kind of focus it in a little more and doing like doing it more consistently and figuring out some of the tech side issues. But and as we got back from tour, the lockdown happened and me and Vic and Doug and Matt were like, well, this is the only thing we can really do because we can get together. We'll create our own little pod. And that like gave us something to do every week. We, we like, you know, had a meeting about it every, every week. And then we got together and did the show. And um, it really became this like, you know, this glue that got us through uh, those dark times. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to family time here. But uh, one last question. Um, opening track of the album, uh, Buddy. Uh, you include a line there where uh, you seem to be asking your younger self if he thinks that you let both of you down. Yeah. Do you think he'd be disappointed to know that he's now a star of stage and screen and a touring rock star? No, uh, buddy or me? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, my friends from back home, I think would think it's all very cool and would be very proud of where I'm at right now. And I would be too. Fantastic. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Good luck. Can't wait to thank see you on the Thank you, Brock. Good to see you. Take care. Thanks.
And ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Streetwise Podcast. I've been your host, Brock Wilbur. Thank you guys for listening to this. Thank you for taking part in everything that The Pitch does. Thepitchkc.com is putting out vital, important, and or hilarious stories each and every day of the week. Please check in with what we are doing. If you ever feel like tossing us a few bucks, we would not hate that, but... Um, We will always be here. We've been here for 43 years now. We will continue to be here for 43 years. Actually, with global warming, I'm not sure I can promise that one. I will definitely be talking to you in 11-ish years. 11-ish feels right. Maybe 23-ish at best. Uh, So, yeah. The pitch will (laughs) will be here as long as you're here and as long as I'm here. Um, we appreciate your support and everything that we do. We hope that you're doing well there. Um, take care of each other, be kind, pitch in, and we'll make it through. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye! This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.